Okay, good morning. We're going to start our time together in Ezekiel chapter 33, and we're going to start at verse 1. So if you would turn there with me, I would appreciate that. And then I want you to be prepared to, pretty quickly after that, turn to 2 Corinthians 5.20. Okay, so it's going to be Ezekiel 33, verse 1, and then 2 Corinthians 5.20. As you find those passages, I'm going to also pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to speak before your people. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to speak about evangelism, about sharing our faith and the good news that your Christ has come to redeem wicked men and women from across the world, that he accomplished that through his death and resurrection. Father, would you help me today? Would you help me this morning speak clearly and stick to your word and speak what is true about you? Father, would you help those who listen discern what I'm saying and decide based on what they know of the word and what they've studied if what I'm saying is right? And if it is right, and if it is found to be true, Lord, I just pray that there would be um, encouragement and conviction as Sebastian prayed for where needed, and that this, these people in this room, including me and my household, would leave on fire for you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so hopefully, <laughs> is that behind me? Yeah, it is. <laughs> so this, the sermon title is actually Richmond, North of Richmond, but uh, I forgot my banjo, so we're going to have to go to the second thing I want to talk about, which is evangelism. Uh, Hopefully you're in Ezekiel chapter 33. We're going to start at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, if I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, And he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and he warns the people. Then, if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning and the sword comes and it takes him away, his blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning for me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way. That wicked person shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, That person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. 
In this passage, we see the Lord's message to the prophet Ezekiel, calling him to be a watchman for the people of Israel. The analogy is clear. If a watchman sees danger approaching and he does not sound the alarm, the responsibility for the consequences falls on him. But if he warns his people, he has fulfilled his duty. Now you might wonder how this ancient text from God relates to us today. After all, it's true that this passage was written to Ezekiel in a different time for a different people group. But I would argue it's not merely a descriptive text in the sense that it's only describing what is happening to that specific people group in that specific time. It is, however, a prescriptive text for one person, the person that God was talking to. Ezekiel was commanded to be God's watchman. And this instruction offers us a lesson about our role as believers. And this is where I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 20. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 20. This passage tells us that we've been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. In essence, we are God's ambassadors, and our mission is to implore others to be reconciled to him through Christ Jesus our Lord. I wonder, I wonder today if we've lost some of that urgency. I wonder if we've lost some urgency in sharing the gospel with unbelievers. My hope is that this message ignites a passion within you, within the saints at Bethany Bible Chapel. We should be a people who are passionately imploring those who are lost to be reconciled to Christ Jesus. We don't need to watch from a tower for danger as if we were watchmen. Why? Because God has already revealed to us the danger. And the danger is him. It says, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There's a similar passage that says, God is angry with the wicked every day. Our task is simple, brethren. To warn and to implore 
those who are actively working iniquity against a holy God. Most of us know this task by its name, evangelism. According to R.C. Sproul's ministry, which is called Ligonier, evangelism is the term we use to refer to the preaching of the gospel. It comes from the same Greek word for gospel, which I'm not going to try to pronounce, and means literally gospeling. When we evangelize, we are gospeling. We are spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Perhaps the most helpful way to understand evangelism is to understand that which is not evangelism. Let's start with a story. In a church much like Bethany, a pair of twins embarked on two separate journeys after high school. One was a young woman and the other a young man. They had both grown up within the safety of their church community, professing their faith in Jesus Christ and being baptized at a young age. Yet, as they ventured into the next chapter of their lives, distinct paths emerged. The female twin chose to enroll at a local state university, while her male counterpart wanted to pursue a career in the trades, and so he opted to enroll at a nearby community college. Their love for the Lord burned brightly within them, and they yearned to share his message of salvation with those that they'd be paired with as roommates in their separate colleges. As the male twin embarked on his community college journey, he devised a strategy to introduce his roommate to Christ. He believed in the power of kindness as a silent testimony. For the ensuing 15 weeks, he labored diligently to shower his roommate with the love of Christ. He selflessly cleaned up messes that weren't his own, displayed a genuine interest in his roommate's passions, and he even sacrificed his weekends to assist with challenging coursework. However, he made a personal vow to never explicitly mention the gospel, hoping that his roommate would witness the Christ-like character he was displaying and in turn be drawn to God. In contrast, the female twin adopted a different approach with her roommate. While she didn't go out of her way to tidy up her roommate's messes, nor did she show interest in her roommate's hobbies, she made it a deliberate point to share the gospel with her roommate clearly at least one time. She recognized that the message of salvation was too precious to withhold, and she was unwavering in her commitment to communicate it one time. Now here's the question. At the end of the semester, at the end of the 15 weeks that make up a semester, which roommate, which roommate had more of an opportunity or was more likely to have embraced the Lord? As you think about your answer, go ahead and turn to Romans 10, 14 through 15.
starting at verse 14, we read, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. The notion that merely showing kindness or being a good example will lead someone to a profound understanding of their need for a savior is sometimes well-intentioned, while other times the saint believing this ought to know better. Acts of kindness and Christ-like demeanor can certainly create an environment where the message of the gospel becomes more appealing and relatable, as Jesus points out in Matthew 5.16, where he commands, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. And Paul reiterates in the first half of Galatians 6.10, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. These acts of kindness, however, don't replace the necessity of explicitly sharing the specifics of the gospel. The gospel is a message of redemption, salvation, and hope grounded in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus our Lord. It encompasses profound truths about sin, God's righteousness, the need for repentance, and the necessity of faith in Christ Jesus for salvation. People cannot truly call on the name of the Lord for salvation unless they've heard about these things. Well, being kind and loving towards others is a fundamental Christian virtue and an excellent starting point for building relationships and opening doors for conversations, it is insufficient on its own to convey the intricacies of the gospel. The Apostle Paul in Romans 10, 14 highlights this very point. I'll read it again. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear unless someone is preaching? The role of a Christian is not to embody Christ's love through their action, but also to proclaim the message of salvation explicitly when the opportunity arises. And I meant to say the role of a Christian is not only to embody Christ's love. It's through this clear communication of the gospel that individuals can come to a deep and transformative understanding of their need for a savior and the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Therefore, while kindness is a powerful tool in demonstrating the love of Christ, it should always be accompanied by a willingness to share the gospel verbally so that others may hear, believe, and call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. Before we proceed to discuss who should be engaged in evangelism, 
it is crucial to highlight a fundamental distinction between evangelism and discipleship. This distinction is often overlooked, and I believe it's vital to clarify. I've encountered numerous discussions with well-meaning believers who find themselves in discipleship relationships with unbelievers, laboring under the assumption that imparting the intricacies of Christian living alone will lead to their salvation. However, it is essential to recognize that evangelism and discipleship serve separate and distinct purposes in the journey of faith. Evangelism is the act of sharing the gospel message, inviting individuals to embrace Christ as their Savior and initiating a saving relationship with Him. It's the beginning, the invitation into the Christian circle. Discipleship, on the other hand, follows evangelism. It involves nurturing the spiritual growth of those who have already accepted the gospel, helping them understand God's word and guiding them in living out their faith. It's about equipping believers to mature in their relationship with Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.18 through 19 says, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved... It is a power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. This verse highlights that the message of the cross might seem foolish to those who haven't accepted Christ. It's a mystery that becomes clear only when the Holy Spirit works in their hearts, leading them to faith. Attempting to disciple someone who hasn't embraced the gospel is like building on shaky ground. First, we should share the gospel, inviting people into a relationship with Christ. Once they've accepted that message and put their faith in Jesus, then we can focus on discipleship, teaching them to grow in their faith and to understand God's word. Now, you might be wondering at this point, Ezra, this all sounds wonderful, but I'm pretty sure you have the gift of evangelism. I have my own spiritual gifts, and evangelism isn't really one of them. Well, let me just be frank from the pulpit and say this once and for all. I don't think evangelism is my spiritual gift either. I really don't. For me, Evangelism has been part of my life even before I trusted in the Lord for salvation. Yes, you heard that right. I was sharing the good news of the Bible before I became a believer myself. Why? Because it was a skill that was passed down to me from my mother. Okay? She used to stay up late with me, and as one of our mother-son bonding activities, we would listen to two radio programs, one titled Wretched Radio and the other titled Way of the Master. Wretched Radio was with Todd Friel and Way of the Master was with Ray Comfort. Both programs had a strong focus on sharing the gospel. 
On Wretched Radio, the host, Todd Friel, every Wednesday, he'd call it Witness Wednesday, would visit college campuses and engage in conversations with the students with two primary purposes, uh, excuse me, with the primary purpose of sharing the gospel with unbelievers. I recall a particular episode where Todd Friel was engaging with the students and he was asking them one question over and over again. And this one question was this, can you share the gospel? Well, it was two questions. Do you know what the gospel is? 90% of them said, yeah, I know gospel music. And he'd say, no, not that kind of gospel. Do you know, biblically speaking, what the gospel is? And they'd say, no. The 10% that didn't know what the gospel was, he would challenge them with this question. Can you share the gospel with me in one sentence? My mom challenged me to do the same. And I took her up on the challenge. We spent countless hours together listening to these programs, and over time, I learned how to effectively share the gospel. Why am I sharing this personal story with you? Well, I'm sharing it to emphasize that I'm, just, I'm not just merely a gifted natural evangelist. Like, I wasn't born this way. I genuinely believe that the gift I received the moment of salvation is probably faith, a supernatural faith. For most people in this room, evangelism is not going to be their spiritual gift. In fact, in some Christian circles, we don't have time to get into it, there's a debate on if evangelism even is a spiritual gift. Okay? For most people, evangelism is a skill that you must cultivate, not a natural talent. It's crucial to understand that Every believer is called to engage in evangelism. The Bible makes it clear that we are all commissioned to share the gospel. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus himself declares this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes down upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Furthermore, in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20, this underscores our role as ambassadors for Christ. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. These verses highlight the responsibility to share the message of reconciliation and the gospel is entrusted to every single born-again believer. We are Christ's ambassadors, his representatives on earth, chosen to convey his message of salvation to a world that desperately needs his grace. Well, it may be tempting to think that evangelism is reserved for a select few with a particular gift. It's essential to remember that it is a calling for all believers. 
It's a responsibility that transcends our natural abilities as the Holy Spirit empowers us to be the witnesses for Christ. So whether you feel equipped or not, remember that you have a divine mandate to share the gospel. It's not about relying solely on your natural abilities. Rather, it's about being a willing vessel. Allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you. As we step out in faith, we become part of God's redemptive plan. Impacting lives and ultimately bringing glory to his holy name. Okay, so we've addressed the what of evangelism, what it is and what it's not. We've also addressed the who of evangelism, which I'm happy to say is none other than you, if you're a born-again believer. It's now natural to inquire about the when and the where of evangelism. However, I'd like to steer our focus away from maybe a common misconception, searching for the minimum requirement to satisfy God's pleasure. How little do I have to do this thing in order for God to be happy with me? If that's your attitude, then you have a heart issue. Instead, I want to explore the issue of frequency and apply wisdom to that. To begin, I need to acknowledge that we should not establish rigid rules or create unnecessary burdens when it comes to the frequency of sharing our faith. We must avoid imposing laws and regulations where scripture provides none. As the Bible warns against burdening people with demands beyond what God's law describes. However, while there isn't a specific numerical guideline for how often we should engage in evangelism, some general principles can guide us. Let's draw wisdom from the words of the renowned preacher Charles Spurgeon. He said, if there be anything about which we cannot tolerate lukewarmness, it is the matter of sending the gospel into a dying world. This statement underscores the urgency of our mission as believers. It emphasizes that our commitment to sharing the gospel should not waver or become lukewarm. Furthermore, the Apostle Peter offers a valuable perspective in 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks for the reason of the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Peter reminds us that our readiness to share faith should be constant. A readiness born out of a heart that honors Christ as Lord. So when should we engage in evangelism? The answer lies in the posture of our hearts. We should cultivate a perpetual preparedness, always standing ready to articulate the hope within us. This readiness isn't tied to a specific time or place summer, door-to-door, when I'm around this person, etc., but rather is tied to the condition 
of our hearts. Evangelism isn't just merely a task we check off a list. It's a reflection of our deep-seated devotion to Christ and our compassion for a world that is in desperate need of his saving grace. It can occur in the ordinary moments of our lives, over a cup of coffee with a friend, during a conversation with a colleague, or even when interacting with a stranger. It can also occur through strategic interactions, door-to-door ministry each summer, open-air preaching, etc., Our mission is not to establish a legalistic framework for evangelism, but to live out the gospel daily, allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us as we honor Christ as holy in our hearts and remain prepared to share our hope. We navigate the when and the where with grace, gentleness, and respect. Determining the where to share the gospel aligns with the same principles we've discussed when regarding when to share the gospel. It's a matter of applying God's wisdom and discernment rather than rigidly adhering to man-made rules. How am I doing for time? Okay. Colossians 3, 23 through 24. I'm going to kind of skip over this section a little bit, but I'm going to give you the gist. We're going to read this passage. Reminds us that overarching reminds us of the overarching purpose in everything we do. So here's a passage. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. This profound truth underscores that our actions include our efforts to share the gospel. They should be driven by a heart that seeks to honor and serve the Lord. It transcends with any specific location, emphasizing the importance of a heart aligned with God's will. There are some times in life where it's probably not appropriate to share the gospel. Okay? The one example that I'll give, and we don't have to go too deep into this, is when you're at work, if your work requires mental focus and bringing up a conversation that could be hours long would take away from that work, you are essentially stealing from your boss. Christ wants us to do all things to his glory and to his honor and to work as unto him and not unto man. So not only are you stealing from your boss, but you are dishonoring Christ, even if the result of that is that person hears the gospel. I would encourage you, if you want to share... um, the gospel with your colleagues and you work in that type of environment where you can't just have a conversation without taking away from your employer, just simply invite them to something that is outside of work. That's where we're going to leave that. Okay, this might be the last section we get to and it's the why, okay? Why? This is so important. If you take away anything from this sermon, it's this. It has to be this, okay? Let's ponder the question. Why should we want to evangelize knowing that there may be a cost? We've discussed what evangelism is and what it isn't. We've discussed the who as well as the when and the where, but now we find ourselves at why. Remember the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who declared, If they hated me, they will hate you. 
There are no guarantees in the realm of evangelism. You could dedicate your entire life to sharing the gospel and not witness a single soul turn to God. Remember God's words to Jeremiah. So you shall speak all these words to them, is what God said, but they will not listen to you. You shall call to them, but they will not answer you. So if the outcome is not guaranteed, why should we embark on this costly mission? For answers, let's turn to an informative story in the book of Luke, a tale of healing and redemption that unfolds in the land of Gerasenes. You can find this story in the Gospel of Luke starting at chapter 8, verse 26. In this narrative, Jesus encounters a man who had been tormented by demons, a man who had wandered among tombs, clad in nothing but despair. When Jesus stepped ashore, this tormented soul fell before him, crying out, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. The man had been possessed by a legion of demons that had driven him into the desolation of the desert. But here's the miraculous part. Jesus, with divine authority, commanded the unclean spirits to depart from the man. He set him free. No more chains, no more shackles, no more demonic oppression. Now the demons begged not to be cast into the abyss and requested permission to enter a herd of swine nearby. And Jesus granted their request. The pigs rushed ahead into the lake, meeting their demise. Now when the herdsmen saw this astounding feat and this transformation, they fled to the city to share the incredible news. People came from all around to witness the marvel. And what did they find? They found the man, the man who was once a slave to a legion of demons, who was once possessed and tormented, now sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. They were filled with awe and fear at the supernatural display of divine power. This story, my friends, has much to teach us about our motivation for evangelism. You see, the man who had been delivered from the clutches of demons begged Jesus, look in the story for yourself, he begged Jesus to allow him to remain by his side. But what did Jesus say? He instructed the man, return home. And tell everyone how much God has done for you. Brethren, when was the last time you pondered that question? When was the last time you thought about the incomprehensible depths of what God has done for you? 
For God has done infinitely more for you than merely casting out a multitude of demons. He has taken upon himself the weight of a multitude of your sins. Every lie, every blasphemy, every sinful word that incurs the wrath of God nailed to the cross with Christ. You, my dear friends, were once slaves to this sin. Captivated by its cruel grip, you couldn't make a single decision in this slavery without serving this merciless taskmaster. Yet God, in his infinite mercy, set you free. But the cost of your freedom was immense. It cost God his one and only son. Jesus was nailed to that rugged cross for your sake. He suffered at the hands of wicked men, enduring the full weight of God's wrath. You, for you, He who knew no sin became sin for you. I implore you to consider what has God done for you? Is Jesus Christ your greatest treasure? Is it still good news to you when I proclaim these things? Jesus suffered once for sinners. He's cast down our ancient enemy, he defeated death and he proved it through his resurrection. I ask you today, my friends, is it still good news to you? Is he still the treasure of your heart? We evangelize for countless earthly pursuits. We eagerly share the latest gadgets, the most incredible deals, the treasures of this world. But when was the last time you shared Christ? When was the last time you shared the gospel? This gospel that surpasses all earthly treasures. Let the fire of God's spirit burn within you. Let the urgency of this message grip your hearts. For we are called to be bearers of the greatest news ever proclaimed. The message of salvation through the Lord Jesus. The cost may be great, but the reward is immeasurable. Let us share this gospel boldly, for it is the power of God unto salvation, and it is the greatest treasure of all. I want to give you one more reason before I wrap things up to share your faith. I want to remind you that certain opportunities are uniquely available in this age and will not be accessible in the ages to come. God has called us to faith in his one and only son, Jesus Christ. My brethren, this is the confidence in which we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. Let us remember the words of our Lord spoken to Thomas after his resurrection. 
You believe because you see me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. Today, we walk with God, not by sight, but by faith. We possess a unique opportunity today in this age to live by faith. A privilege that will not be available in the next age when we see Christ face to face. In this present moment, we exercise faith in the unseen, we trust in the promises of God, and we proclaim the gospel to a world in need. Consider another example. I want to talk to my married friends. This earthly life is the one and only opportunity you get to partake in the sacred covenant of marriage. In the ages to come, there will be no marriage, for we shall be like the angels, neither given in marriage nor receiving in marriage. This is your exclusive moment to nurture and cherish your relationship with your spouse, serving Christ together in the hands of matrimony. It's an opportunity to reflect God's love and unity within the sacred institution of marriage that you won't get in the ages to come. Likewise, in the heavenly realm, there will be no need for evangelism. The time for sharing the gospel, for bringing souls to Christ is now. This is your singular chance to engage in this marvelous activity and to witness God move in ways that you may not even believe are possible. Will you take hold of this opportunity or will you squander it and let it be burned up? We're called to be bearers of light, ambassadors of Christ in a world shrouded in darkness. The gift of faith, the privilege of marriage, and the mission of evangelism are all exclusive to this age. Do not squander these divine gifts. Embrace them with a zealous heart, for in doing so you partake in the glorious work of God, sharing the gospel to transform lives for all of eternity. Now I do have a section that we didn't get to that is titled, How to Share the Gospel. And in that section, I share two methods that I use to share my faith with others. And so if you would like access to that information, I'll just email you this whole sermon. Just get a hold of me. You can text me or you can email me. For now, let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the marvelous opportunity that you've given us to share this treasure, this good news that you had mercy on mankind when we didn't deserve it. Thank you for sending your son to die on our behalf. Thank you for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for having compassion. Lord, give us that same compassion for a dying world around us. Fill our hearts with fire for your kingdom more so than this earthly kingdom. Father, I pray that you would use your words, the words that I shared that were from the Bible in this message, 
that they would not return void. Use them in the hearts of those who heard. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for all the opportunities you give us each day to live in obedience, not because we have to, to earn your favor, but because we get to. Thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.